Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I read somewhere that blacking out from drinking is caused by the effect alcohol has on the hippocampus, which is part of the brain that's responsible for memory. You're not actually forgetting anything, but rather your brain becomes incapable of storing and recording new memories. This probably explains why I can't remember much of my undergrad years, but it would also appear to explain why I don't remember much about how I ended up back in my hotel room with my boss the night of the holiday party. What led me to this? This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to Jennifer Valenti, author of The Maverick. It's about a young woman who, not long after her mother dies of breast cancer, gets offered the job of her dreams working at a startup tech company that has developed proprietary software to diagnose breast cancer even before stage one. Her only problem with taking the job is that the founder and CEO of the company raped her after the company's holiday party. How will Jane reconcile the large salary, perks, and potential ability to make a huge difference in the world with working for someone who violated the law, society's moral code, and her body? Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thank you so much for having me. So how did you come to write The Maverick? So to be perfectly honest, um, I was really struggling. The Maverick itself is actually based on my own story. And I had been seriously struggling with overcoming this in my life. And it was suggested to me at the time that perhaps if I wrote this out, it would help me to look at it as a timeline and look at, look at it as uh, something that happened. but is in the past. And so I took that advice and I started to write this out. And as I wrote it out, I started to recognize that it had such a weight to it, that it wasn't just my story, but it was probably a lot of other women's stories as well. And I thought about what that really meant and what it would have meant to me if I would have been able to see this story um, and perhaps be able to use it to anchor myself to that story and know that I wasn't alone. And that's how it it sort of transformed. It transformed from being this cathartic therapeutic process to being this way for me to take these characters and make them relatable to so many other women that are going through this same um, tragedy in their life and this trauma in their life and show them that there is this light at the end of the tunnel and that there are also other ways that they can overcome this other than just the emotional weight that we carry every single day. So that's how we went from taking this as something that was just my own therapy to actually creating this fictionalized version that is based on my own story and putting it out in the world in the hopes that other women could see that A, they're not alone and B, that there are a lot of options available to them 
to ensure that they understand that they don't just have to live with this. They don't just have to take this. This isn't something that they have to live with alone. And so that's kind of where we, where we went with it. I, this is so powerful. And I didn't, I did not know any of that when I read the story and I, I, it, it really holds together as a story she is a maverick without telling anybody what happens. Are you also, do you consider yourself a maverick? I do. And in, to be honest, I've been called a maverick for most of my life. And it was not always a compliment. Um, sometimes it was a derogatory and pejorative way of saying that I wasn't you know, going along with what somebody expected of me. And over time, I sort of learned to absorb that moniker and actually appreciate it. Because even though I, I do see myself as somebody who has a chip on their shoulder and really wants to succeed and really wants to um, have all this passion translated into their work, um, sometimes that can leave you in a very solitary place. Um, and I've learned to embrace that because there is a yin and a yang to being a maverick. And in this story, in Jane's story, which is, again, you know, part of my story and part of her own story she learns to understand what it means to be a maverick. It's both a incredible responsibility as well as it can also be, unfortunately, it's sometimes shortcomings. So it's about that balance and learning how to live with, you know, that balance and being able to apply that in your life. But how did a career in film, television, technology, consulting, how did that all prepare you to be a novelist? So actually, writing is my very first passion. I went to school for film, and I got my undergrad in film, even though we called it a communications degree at the time. And writing was actually what I've always done. Even when I was a very young girl, I would write stories after stories after stories. So for me, writing was always a passion, and it was always something that came second nature to me. But I had put that aside uh, for many years, almost 20 years. I had lived in New York City um, back in 2001. And I was working in film and television in actual major motion picture production when September 11th happened. And once that happened, it was very difficult for me to sustain a career because so many of the film projects um, were gone in New York. So there was no way to even continue to make a living. So I ended up actually going back to school and that's where I found technology. And I sort of had to put my dreams and passions aside to be able to support myself. Um, I ultimately ended up becoming a mother and twice over. And so that became more of my priority rather than, you know, following this once held dream. And so it's funny to actually see that this is, and I mean funny as in peculiar, that this is the story that brings me back to that original passion. So I just think for, for whatever reason, everything happens for a reason, even if I had to take the extreme scenic route to get there. Scenic. That's an interesting designation. Jane is devastated to have lost her mother to breast cancer. I was originally going to ask how you thought her life would have been different had her mother not, had her mother survived and been there to support her. But now I'm wondering, how did you survive without your mother when this happened to you? It was extremely difficult. I lost my mom when I was 17. And at the time, I had a very tumultuous relationship with my parents. I actually ended up homeless uh, after she died for quite a few weeks. I lived in my car. I actually came home from, I was living up in Boston at the time. My mom was in Florida. 
And after my mother's funeral, I had come back to Boston and my dad basically said, I don't care where you go. You just can't stay here. And he handed me a fistful of cash and I got into my car and I drove straight through from Boston to Florida and lived in my car for about two and a half weeks until I turned 18. And I was able to get an apartment and a job at that time, but it was really hard. And I've been on my own since I was 17, since that happened. And so this is kind of where that chip on my shoulder comes from and and just having to go through so many different challenges to become the person I am. Um, But I think just going back to Jane and her story, I think that that catharsis of what happens in our lives when something so incredibly major, like a loss of a parent happens, it really puts us into a totally different multiverse. We end up living a totally different life than we would have if that had not happened. For me, I think that I certainly would have taken a much different path. I probably would have um, gone to college sooner. I actually ended up waiting to go back to school because I was not in a position to go. Um, I maybe I would have chosen a different profession. Maybe we would have had a you know this amazing relationship. I don't know. But she's missed everything in my life because she was gone so soon. And same with Jane. Jane probably would have stayed at Cal State. She probably would have gotten her master's in data science. She probably would have stayed out in California. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can look at how our lives take this huge track shift when something so momentous like that occurs. But also, Jane might not have been so determined to take the job regardless of what happened had it not been for her mother's death from breast cancer. Can you talk about that a bit? Absolutely. I mean, that is exactly what propelled her because her mom died and because it was, you know, um, something so sudden for her, it really did change her mindset in terms of what she wanted to do with her life. That's why when she's given this opportunity to work with Imagine, it's a dream come true for her because she gets to take this talent that she has and these skills that she has, and she gets to put it towards something that's truly meaningful not just individually for her, but what it could mean to so many other women as well. Because they're on the edge of creating a breakthrough diagnostic tool. Exactly. Which, by the way, is not very far-fetched. There's actually AI companies today that are working on being able to diagnose through AI, through Mm -hmm. machine learning. Um, But the fact that they are creating this incredible diagnostic tool that could have saved her mother's life, is something that is she feels is her calling. She feels like this is something that she can't deny. So even though she she goes through what could, would, would be considered by any standard to be the most horrific and traumatic experience of her life when her would-be boss sexually assaults her, she ends up going to work with this company despite that because that is how strong those beliefs are in what she needs to do to help other women. Mm-hmm. In your opening paragraph, Jane acknowledges that alcohol has caused huge gaps in her memory, mm-hmm. and her roommate also drinks excessively. What's your take on their alcohol problem? Yeah, so look, they definitely turn to alcohol in times where either they need to numb their pain or they're trying to forget the problems that they have or even trying to salve over them. And it's something that I have as a pretty prevalent part of both Jane and another additional character, Carmen's arc. Um, It's something that we do when we are looking to overcome these moments of pain and despair. Oftentimes we look to addictive behaviors, alcohol, drugs, food, whatever it is that we feel can give us that 
instant satisfaction so that we don't feel these depressive feelings. Um, I suffer significantly from depression and PTSD because of my assault. And my addiction of choice is food. That's how I have um, looked to try to overcome my, my despair and depression when times are really low. Um, and this is the way that Jane and many people of her age group are looked to also overcome their pain. Jane is, would be considered a millennial by standards of where we are today. She's in her late 20s. She is somebody who has this very broad college career and college friendships and deep personal relationships. And a lot of that is uh, in, reflective in their choices. They go out a lot, they party a lot, they're drinking a lot, and they are oftentimes trying to numb either singular pain or collective pain. But they're young, so they always look fabulous. I know, really. <laughs> <laughs> so why does Jane describe herself as a type A introvert with a mild case of OCD? Well, I would say that's probably me. <laughs> so, hmm. You know, Jane is, and the funny thing is, um, Jane's name, which Jane Valiant, is similar to mine, but it's actually coincidentally similar. Even though Jane Valiant is uh, my, me personified in this fiction novel, um, the name Jane was chosen because I wanted it to represent any woman that could have gone through this. And obviously the last name being Valiant, being courageous, being somebody who is you know speaking truth to power and is overcoming these um, these these obstacles. So even though it's similar to my name, it's more coincidental. But her as a character is definitely me. They have a fabulous office. This company with a, an incredibly impressive view. She spends a little time mulling over it. Would would Jane have rethought working for the company if they didn't have that view? I think that she probably might have thought that. Any other location could have been a ding against them because New York was such a big dream of her. She always wanted to live and work in New York. So that was just an additional benefit, honestly. And the fact that she had visited so many times and had really coveted this beautiful landscape that is Manhattan. And really, New York is a, a almost an additional character in the book. Um, it has such a beautiful backdrop, and she really does work to appreciate that. I think that that was also part of the reason why she just thought everything, all of the stars were aligning. Mm -hmm. She's being hired as a senior data scientist. Um, Was that one of your many professions before you started writing? So I work in uh, technology. I actually work in artificial intelligence. And so I have a very similar role as she does, although I'm not a data scientist, Um, but I manage a lot of them. (laughs) So I understand the, uh, the technology very intricately, especially machine learning. It's, it's what I do. Um, so I understood the impact of the work that she did. And also I wanted to make it very current. Uh, one of the biggest reasons I really wanted to focus on her career is I wanted it to show a, an incredible woman in this very technical field, which is atypical of what we see in workplaces today. Um, but there are so many incredibly brilliant women that are working in these fields, that are doing these jobs, that are so momentous, like creating, you know, algorithms that are detecting cancer, or also detecting, you know, any number of diseases through technology. And that Mm -hmm. especially are the ones that are, um, are really the backbone of this. 
So Jane makes a few friends at the company after she starts working there, but it's also highly politically charged. Can you talk a bit about the rest of the staff? Yeah. So I think I've worked in the startup world quite a bit. And so I think it's really um, a good reflection of what my experience is in the startup world. You have a lot of people with very polarizing personalities. It's also very diverse. Um, And a lot of the characters in the book are from very diverse backgrounds, Russian, Chinese, um, and Indian and Pakistani. So I mean, there are and that is very reflective of startup cultures, particularly in technology. But with that comes a lot of ego and a lot of arrogance and a lot of autonomy, or at least a fight for autonomy, particularly around the founders. Um, So Peter and Anand are the co-founders of this company. They are they have a very long history. And they are the typical Silicon um, Valley, you know, bro culture. <laughs> and, and, and for anyone who understands that culture, they'll see it pretty, pretty well reflected in this book. Um, but they are there to set the stage and to also show her navigating not only, obviously, the emotional downfall and fallout from what happened with Peter, but also the struggle that she has just trying to find her way through this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does make a couple of friends, though. Mm-hmm. She does a couple of very important friends. So uh, one of them is Aaron, who is the receptionist, receptionist at Imagine. And uh, Imagine is the name of the company that she goes to work for. And Aaron is, a, is one of my favorite characters. So just to, uh, very quickly... Um, each one of the characters that ends up being main characters in the rest of the series is um, ref- is actually based on people in my life. So Carmen and Aaron and Allie are actually existing people in the world. <laughs> um, so Aaron especially is such an interesting character. She's one of my favorites and so much fun to write because she is so unsuspecting. She's just one of those people you never see coming and you'll never suspect you know anything about her. She's very charming. Um, and she continues that charm throughout the series. Hold on. Do the people, these real people, know that they're in this story? They do. <laughs> but you made them even more beautiful with better clothes. I did. Absolutely. <laughs> they're, okay. they're like the, the id version of themselves. <laughs> Love it. Okay. That's wonderful. Um, they have a couple of days or one day a month where they do this really interesting thing, very competitive. Can you talk about the competition? Yes. So these are uh, very typical in technology startups. They're called hackathons. And typically, it's usually a designated time, either during a month-long exercise or a quarterly exercise, where several members of the company come together and they face off to create something new um, around their technology. Uh, Typically, it could be a feature or it could be a whole, you know, part of their entire platform, whatever it is. It's just a way for them to accelerate development and to make it fun at the same time. So in this particular instance, the hackathon that is reflected in this book is actually a very cathartic moment for Jane. It's actually a watershed moment for her because not only she kind of comes into this company not thinking she's good enough. I mean, putting the the situation with Peter aside, she really feels almost awestruck by so many of the different people that are in this company that make up this talent pool, she kind of feels like she doesn't belong. So she has this imposter syndrome um, up until this moment. And then during this hackathon, she's leading one of these teams. And even though there are some challenges and setbacks during the hackathon, ultimately, you know, she becomes victorious and it proves to her 
that she really does have what it takes to, you know, have the skills and, and um, ingenuity that's required to do this job. So there's, and also she, she's a flawed person and she's a complex character. She also sees that she can be, you know, kind of an asshole and she needs to take a step back and she needs to realize that she can't just depend on herself. She's got to understand balance with a team. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a lot she learns throughout this process. She's a smart, sophisticated girl. So why doesn't Jane go to the hospital after she's raped? I'll tell you, there's um, so many women that encounter sexual assaults that don't process that it's an assault until much later after it has happened. Um, So oftentimes women will just go through the motion of this experience and then just go about their own lives until finally it hits them as to what happened. And this is exactly what happened to me and what happens to Jane in the story. That reaction and how she does or does not react to what happens to her is a very important part of the story because so many people who have not had this happen to them, they think they will act a certain way until it actually does happen. And then they realize that they didn't have any, they were not prepared for how they actually acted. Um, that was me. I'm a very strong you know, person. I'm a very assertive person. And for me to have gone through that and for me to try to bury it, both physically and emotionally, as if it didn't happen, um, is was really surprising to me as a person, because I never would have thought that that would have been how I reacted. But the fact is, is that you just don't know how you're going to react until something like that happens. And so that's why I wanted to reflect that. And what's funny is that I've gotten so much mail from other women that have read this story that are like, that is exactly what I did. That's exactly how I reacted. And I felt like I was alone. And I felt like I was, you know, I felt ashamed because I didn't speak up because I didn't do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I want women who read this to understand that that's normal. It's a hundred percent normal. And that it's how we have to collectively come together and understand that you're not alone. And that there's so many ways that we can look at this post the fact, um, and that you should in no way feel that this is your fault or that you have any shame to hold. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if there was a part, any part of the story that was most fun for you to write. But now that I know that it's based on your actual story, I want to know, was it cathartic? It really was. And honestly, um, when I first wrote everything out and it was my story all the way through, um, that was the moment that I felt like I could really truly release it. And then when I actually started to turn it into a fiction story, it was actually fun for me. It was actually something that really piqued my creative side and gave me this fire to get this story out and to make it something that women could really anchor themselves to. So even though it's a very heavy subject, um, first of all, I have a, a ridiculous dry wit and dry humor, and that comes out very clearly in this book. So there are times when, you know, even though this subject is a very strong subject to have to read through, um, Number one, I made it so that it was uh, obvious what was happening, but not explicit, uh, because I didn't think that that was necessary. And also, I really wanted to focus on Jane's journey rather than just that one event. I wanted to show the complexity of life. I wanted to show especially the sisterhood that she has with her best friend. I wanted to show the support system that can gather around you 
when you do finally feel that comfort of actually talking about these issues so that women would feel the courage that they needed to maybe perhaps tell someone, you know, that this is something that they've gone through and not be afraid to think that they're going to be shamed. But in fact, that many people will actually rally around them. Oh, I hope so. You mentioned a series. What are you working on next? So this, uh, The Maverick itself is actually the first book in a book of seven. And uh, so it'll be a seven book series, which actually starts to pivot over to uh, the group of girls. I don't want to give too much away, but the group of girls that sort of come together at the end of this book, they actually create this, um, this agency to help other women. And so each one of the subsequent books past The Maverick will focus on one case at a time. So it's kind of a, a, murder, a, a mystery, a women's sleuth mystery um, fiction series. And each one of these books is actually um, also based on a real person. So I have a few women in my life that have experienced varying degrees of trauma. Um, and we explore that and we actually solve these, um, I want to say kind of like these cases in each one of the books. To, just for your readers' benefit, there for your listeners' benefit, the first book is the only one that tackles sexual assault. The other ones all tackle totally different issues. And um, you'd be surprised at how different each person's trauma is and what they actually went through to overcome it. Um, so that's what each one of these books will focus on. Wow. So Jennifer, sign me up for the fan club. <laughs> I am looking forward to the next one. When is it coming out? So we're trying to get it out by June. Um, but it may be a little bit delayed. So probably summer, I'll say, of next year. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for talking me to, to me today. Thank you so much, Glead. Honestly, I appreciate this so much. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Jennifer Valenti, author of The Maverick. Thank you for listening, and I hope you're always able to lose yourself in a good book. Happy reading.